No bullshit. You want to kill yourself? Oh, for Christ. Shut up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? I got the job done. What the and hell do you want? You didn't answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. You want to die. I don't. I'm not afraid of it. I ain't afraid of it. Yeah, take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Hello there and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. This is episode 73, I believe. It is 73, isn't it? That is correct. 73, and we are sliding right into the uh, Oscar season, sliding on home. Yeah. Much like I'm sure Manny Machado is going to slide into the knee of Joe Panic <laughs> next, sometime next season. That's what I was looking up, by the way. I had to look up a, a second baseman in the NL West. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who does he play for? plays for the Giants, apparently. Oh, wow. I don't know okay. much about I didn't know, I, I, the NL West. Yeah, me neither. It's I a, do know that I hate Manny Machado. If they're not the NL Mets. Sorry, San Andreas. San Andreas. San Diego Padres fans. I also hate your team. Well, I just like how, I think it's great that people are like, oh, they're going to be really good. It's like, he's not going there to be good. He's going no. there to be left alone and to make $300 million. And just to hurt people right. without anybody that's, saying anything. That's all he's going there to do. Did you see, like, in the Brewers, like, um, in that... NL championship game where he just ran over the Brewers first baseman's foot for no real reason. The yeah. Brewers weren't even really being competitive. Well, then they series. talked about him being a dirty player for like five minutes, and then they're like, man, it doesn't matter. It's like, and oh, then the Brewers he pitched ended that one... Dustin Bedroya's career. <laughs> the Brewers pitched that one guy one, one batter, and then everyone was like, well, forget about Manny Machado. Let's talk about new baseball now. Um, but we shouldn't worry about that, Mario. And to inspire us not worrying about it, we've got a a say it loud brown ale from our neighbor Hamden, Connecticut's own No Worries Brewing. The brewery that <laughs> state representative Josh Elliott forgot about, even though it was in his own town. I thought oh, that was really? funny. Yeah. He did apologize, apparently on Facebook. He knew Counterweight, but not No Worries. But not No Worries. Which might say something about No Worries. But Bing. No Worries, actually, overall, before I take a sip of this, is usually a pretty competent beer. I'm not sure I've ever had it's competent, no Competently made. Hmm. As our tagline would go, that does not really taste much like a brown ale to mm. me. It's a competent brown ale. It, everything this brewery does for me is a good baseline of what you would expect. Like if you go to elementary school, and, and this isn't a criticism. I think this is actually an important feature in the craft beer scene. Like you're, It's not doing anything crazy, and none of their beers do anything crazy, but mm. they do the things... If you're being introduced to a style of beer, mm-hmm. I actually think, and you, for some reason, are very farm to table with your beer needs, Ooh. I think No Worries is, is your brewery. Because, like, they do a brown ale, it tastes like a brown ale, like a brown ale should before, like, an H-Lord shit's thrown onto it. And their IPA, um, 
Dosido tastes like an IPA should before the shit's thrown onto it. You know, they 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 are a good kind of like welcome. They're a good gateway beer, and this is what this tastes like to me. I mean, if you want yeah, a brown, if you want a, if you want like a smashable brown, this is fine. Smashable, I think, is the key in this conversation, Mario, because it does have a kind of um, burn through it. What's interesting is it's like kind of Quality quenching, gym. which you don't get in a brown ale. It does. It's like the ga- <coughs> it's like the Gatorade of brown ales. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, it's like how uh, like Founders All Day IPA to me is. Kind oh, of that's like, always trouble. Yeah, you just are just knocking down, and it's only a four point two. You think you're fine, but those come in fifteen packs for a reason. <laughs> because after you've gone through like five of them, you're like, hmm. Well, I feel like the mo- most recent times I've said the words like these aren't even doing anything. I was drinking like a Founders All Day IPA, <laughs> and then, uh, and then an like, hour and a half, half later, you're like, these oh, aren't doing anything. They did many things to me. Do you know it doesn't do much for me? Some of the best documentary shorts that we saw. And we saw all five of them this week, and I think we should just jump right into the one that was fucking awful. And that is Endgame. <laughs> Written and directed by oh, Rob Epstein and his uh, production partner and direction partner of Jeffrey Friedman. So you said they won... They have won two Oscars, both documentary features. Oh, okay. uh, They won in 1990 for the 89 film uh, Common Threads. They also directed the really famous Time of Times of uh, Harvey Milk. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Which is good. I, I didn't realize it was the Milk. same guy. Yeah. Um, which was good. Which, and interesting, because this movie is just abysmal. Well, I mean, so let's... let's before we... Jump on its neck, which I'm going to help you do. Okay, I'm going to steady your hands as well, I help you. Well, jump one, on its one neck. thing before we jump into this, I think the IMDb opening description of it is very apt. Okay, yeah, in yeah, the sense that? that it says filmed and edited in an intimate veritas style, which means yeah, because it looks like home movies of people it does. dying. Look, so I think the weird. So there's a lot of weird things that I, that I that I commented on to my wife when I was watching it. Like, why are there no characters here? Why is the only character development we're getting, even though they're focusing on different people and we're getting their names and we're getting kind of what's wrong with them, um, they don't let you stay with anybody long enough to kind of learn anything about who they were no, it wasn't pre-disease. In, it wasn't until the end, and I can't remember some of the names. The only real name I remember is the Mur- Murta and... Um, Mitra. Mitra. Um, there is the, the part where... Uh, they showed the one woman, they're talking to the woman with the, the husband who was a nurse for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. And she has cancer. And later on when Dr. Miller's talking to the other woman who like gave her the homework assignment about creating a relationship with death, mm-hmm. I thought those were the same people. I did too. Because they look similar, um, like in the hairstyles and the way they dress and whatnot. And this movie doesn't do any way of crafting like a, an intimate relationship with anybody besides, I'd say, Miller. Um, the doctor who's, you know, had a near-death experience, right. like, has a severe disability, and all the other people, and, like, Mimi Mitra and, his, and mm-hmm. her family, um, mostly her family, like, they don't do any kind of, it doesn't do any work. And this is the longest documentary of the bunch. Is it longer than Lifeboat? Yeah, it's longer than Lifeboat. Okay. It's 40 minutes. Lifeboat's, like, 37-ish. Yeah. Um, that, you know, when you're trying to do this intimate kind of porch for it, if you're not 
doing any work, then, then what's the point? If, if you're doing something that's supposed to be an intimate look at life and death, it's supposed to be a look at how people approach life and death in their own various ways, then you really got to know these people. Well, so um, my problem is that I wasn't even sure that that's what this movie was about. I'm not even, I'm not sure at all what this, the point of this movie is. I mean, so the movie... Death is sad. That's well, the so I mean, the, at the end of the movie, that, you know, that Dr. Miller... Um, he says, you know, we're wired to run away from death, but dying is a part of life. And I even, I, again, I said out loud, I was like, is that what this movie is supposed to be about? Because yeah, it's just like, it yeah. seems like oh, it's an advertisement shit. for this hospice center, which is fine. I mean, which I, you know, whatever work they're doing over there seems like really good work. But they didn't even really go into a lot of detail as to what separates... Um, that center from any other center that's doing similar things like is that an interesting center are they breaking new ground are they coming up with new ideas like i don't know it doesn't spend really any time with that zen project to you know no you're just in you're you're just just in the building like the only time you really get a look like some of miller's techniques but miller's also in himself besides you know maybe his approach with with severe disability like having lost both of his limbs and his arm Mm -hmm. um Beyond that, the only thing that shows somewhat of a unique flavor to it is the way they kind of like do the dealing with grief with the body, you know, wrapped in cloth and and the flowers. But that's just like but I want to know like why. But like I want to like a deep you want a deeper sense of like everything in the transitional process. So that's interesting that you brought that up because if I had forgotten about that, but you would think that the movie, I don't blame you. The movie would have focused on. It's one interesting aspect. It's a short. It's a short documentary. You know what I mean. It's not a feature film. So if you're making a short, why not focus on, on that I one mean, thing and then like it's almost as long the, as your as your uh, your number seventy three. That's true. As to <laughs> why not build a whole movie around that uh, in the ideas that are being expressed by him when they're kind of showing you know that it's, it's taking a little beauty with you, trying to mix beauty in with the grief. Um, Instead, we get to we get a, a couple of a couple of scenes, short scenes with a couple of different um, characters, and then we get these really long scenes with Mitra and her family trying to come to grips with like her, you know, inevitable death or what the doctors see as inevitable, what her husband is choosing to see, um, you know, as a kind of tragic situation that may have a hope, you know, have a hopeful ending because he keeps hoping that she's, you know, this next medicine's going to pull her out of it. Um, but I don't see that they're using any of the footage of her to make any kind of comment on anything. They're just showing that, like, some people are comfortable with death and some people are not comfortable with death. And then we should all be comfortable with death? Like, is that it? I don't know. What the, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's just there's there's not much to say about it. I think it's it's worthless. I, I, would very, I, I very infrequently call something worthless, but I don't think... It serves. I don't think it's art in any way. Well, I don't do think. think I don't think it serves a point. I it wish is... I had seen like whatever the sixth movie was, yeah, you know, like the, the 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 top movie that didn't get nominated. Like, what does that look like? But even like look at uh, something, um, like a, a short talk. Well, I cannot remember it now. The um, the short we watched, the Netflix, the other one of another Netflix shorts that wasn't nominated. You know, um, that oh, dealt with the letters from um, Donovan. Yeah. You know, something like that, which is still maybe middle of the road, is at least doing more from a production standpoint and more from uh, developing characters and developing a moral... Like, it's still saying a very... Still saying something we all kind of can agree with. But it's doing work to to create characters and to create an emotional 
tenet. Like, it's, it's, well, and it's it has an, an odd, idea. Yeah, and it's odd that for a film that deals so much with grief and sadness and 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 tragedy, um, in the sense of you know like the, the personal tragedy, you don't feel really anything. It feels. I felt sad for Mija and her family a couple of times, but not because of the filmmaking. But because of but just, just the situation. It's, it's sad watching we're a woman empathetic die. people, yeah. yeah. Who's a 44-year-old woman, yeah. Believe it's, it but, or not, we are empathetic people. But, like, it's the thing. And I kind of found it a little offensive that the only kind of character building they do with her is to show us pictures on people's cell phones and are trying to kind of draw... We have to draw our own conclusions between, you know, a, a, a fairly vivacious-seeming woman... Um, that people took a bunch of pictures of and this woman here laying in the bed. Now, is that... I don't know if that's fair to her, for one, that she can is only represented in living color, like, you know, lying there dying, and, and the rest of it is just this kind of two-dimensional, like, cell phone pictures. And the fact that so much of it focuses in on the doctor's um, want to study her cancer, like, thinking of the body already before she's dead, like, that's so much of a focus of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if you're trying to get empathy... For for death and whatnot, you don't show these fuckers. Well, I'm okay with that if it's if it's expressed with an if there's an idea attached to it, which it's not. It's, it's, just, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. just like a thing that like here's a thing you're gonna have to deal with. Like, is it is it a video that they sh- do they make it as a video that they show people that are going in to like a hospice situation? Like, here's a a, a video to kind of get you ready for this because that's kind of what it felt like to me, like a dramatic situation that like was gonna have people answering questions. Or was going to be answering questions or putting questions in people's mind that are going to maybe have to answer this question in the future. I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. It was really strange. Weird is an interesting synonym for terrible. So this movie can go fuck itself. Moving on. Uh, the other Netflix film. I think that's the most scathing review I've ever given. Nice. Period. End of sentence. Uh, this one is um, about a Oakland High School... Um, who's provided funding for these women outside of Delhi, India, who, you know, the, the, the culture there has had a, a big stigma, stigma against menstru- menstruation, so they kind of create, um, give them the abilities to, to create pads and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and dealing with the stories of kind of like the entrepreneurship and the, the revolution, as it were, of these women to kind of, you know, present themselves as equals to be to be workers to to find a voice right and on top of that uh to do all of those things but also in the process um find a way to kind of solve a logistical feminine problem you yeah know exactly I mean? so yeah, like the they don't issue. go they don't go buy pads because it's taboo to talk about buying pads or to go into a store to buy pads and because no one buys them no one carries them and because of men in these situations, it's so taboo for men to even think about it that they're not going to have anything to do with it either. And men most own these shops, so they're not going to order them. Um, so, um, I mean, the movie was directed by Zaika uh, Ziptopchi. I don't know. I don't know if I did that right. I'm pretty sure I didn't do that right. No, no. Reika Zatabachi. We did it. I think somewhere in those two pronunciations is the correct. She's sitting somewhere. In the, just shaking is the her correct head. pronunciation. Uh, and produced by Lisa Tabek. So there you go. This might be the Oscar favorite. Lisa Tabek well, being Miramax's former award strategist. I actually think so. I thought it was. It's serv- It's serviceable. It's good. It, it's it was, it was fun. 
I thought it was actually yeah, a fun, fun way to kind of present this information. I did think it acted a little bit like an advertisement for the Pad Project, which is um, you know the the organization that those um, Oakland teenagers started um, to kind of do this thing, um, which is v- very good and worthy. Oh and yeah, because it ends. It, it does. It ends with with you know. Uh, a push toward the link to the pad project to sure. learn more. And, and that's fine. Which that's, people should I'm, go to the padproject.org and, and donate to this because it's a very worthy thing. But it does kind of come off a little bit like like a really excellently made Kickstarter video. Which, yeah, but and, – and that's that's why I'd say, like, there's there's no criticism of it. It's interesting. Like, the, it does do a good job of creating, char- of creating characters and creating individuals and creating small stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and even though it's rushing through a bunch of people, you, you still – Get the person who wants to become a deli, co- the woman who wants to become a, a cop. Yeah, you know, so you get these small little segments. This is only a twenty-six minute movie, mm-hmm. so it shows what happens when people who are competent at something can, can create a story, which is actually, you know, technically, I guess you could say, a far less globally engaging story as something like death. So when you're death is pretty globally engaging. Yeah. When you're competent with the subject matter, you can make something that's engaging, and this is engaging. I would agree that yeah. it's not really profound but i don't think it, it's not trying to be it's it is just it does feel like um an educational kind of video for a very good cause right and like not only that but if um it would be hilarious i mean not that it doesn't deserve i mean i don't i don't it's not my favorite of these movies that are nominated i don't think it's the best i don't think fine, it's the I'm best fine one if it, no, i'm fine if it, if it one it would be two, it would do two things in the year of um you know, in the year that Rome is going to clean up and Netflix is going to ruin, like, the studio system in terms of, like, uh, you know, having a stranglehold on what gets nominated for awards and stuff. If a Netflix movie won this, that was funded, was crowd an, a crowd-funded Netflix movie winning an award would be, like, you know, when the studio system is down on the ground, like, because Rome just kicked it in the balls, it walks past and, like, spits its eye. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, fuck you. And you know what I mean? Lisa Tobeck just Which digs her heel right into the ground. But it would be great, you know what I mean? Like in the direction that movies are kind of going, and I think this kind of sends an interesting message. One thing I would say though too is, um, I don't know necessarily if it, it had correction, but the color in the film is really vibrant. I give it that for like a filmmaking standpoint. For something that's really small budget, like I, they did a lot of it good was a work. Very on the color. engaging short film yeah and it's good it's a great length it's 26 minutes you know mm-hmm. any longer would have been it would have been too much well, any longer and they have to change they, they have, have to change, change the tone. tone jinx you owe me nachos <laughs> okay I'm kidding me. um although i do suggest yeah let's get some nachos. <laughs> um yeah it was uh, i it, it's a it's obviously it's it, it's interesting because i um um yeah, I especially like this in a lot. regards to like something like Lifeboat, which is so heavy, but kind of deals not the, like with a similar thing, but is a kind of um, something we don't understand. It deals with things that in a Western culture we're not a hundred percent able to fully grasp. Yeah, we have we have a very abstracted knowledge of it. Um, we see it and we hear it about it on NPR, we see it on television, but we don't really get down on the level. Right, and this had the ability to kind of like get us down to the level without dragging us, you know, way down into, like, the muck and mire of how this works. Um, and, you know, and yeah, you get those why nice little, this is like this. You get and, those you little know. small fragments of how much, you know, there, there's gender discrimination and sexual discrimination 
um, just what the speech is about. Like when the woman talks about buying the dress, you know, mm-hmm. for her, not buying the clothes for her brother and yeah. saying like, you know, that, that transition of, um, and, uh, of, of what the culture expects there, you know, you get those things, but it's always told in a way of hope, like hopefulness, mm. um, and respect. They're and not respect, like yeah. mocking and they're not mocking anybody. Even when it seems like they're mocking the boys, there's a kind of under and the men, there's a kind of understanding that like. It's just been this way for a long time. Like they don't even have the language to express that they know what this is, even if they wanted to. And there's a couple clever shots too, like the old man working on uncreating the pads. You know, kind yeah, of getting yeah. in there. Like, like I like those those shots. Like yeah. there's a little small, little clever. I felt happy for ingenuity. everybody. I don't know if I'm supposed to feel happy for everybody, but I did. At the end of the movie, I was like, this seems like a community that is going and in the right direction. You know, what? if if it wins, like it's it's. It's not my favorite as well, um, but if it wins, hopefully it gives exposure to yeah. this and you know yep. it's a good cause. You know, go on the Pad Project, support it. Um, I think our third movie is going to well, be the shortest film. With with disclaimer being that we're not a hundred, we hope that it's a, it's a genuine thing. We're not. I'm not going to give it my full endorsement. What? I'm always like, spec like skeptical of everything. So. <laughs> oh man, um, but well, if next it is we- genuine. Support the pad project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if just cut, just cut this out. Okay. Well, I thought it's okay. it's only relevant because you know I'm not I'm gonna leave I, it. I doubt it. I doubt You're it. You're joking. I know. Yeah. No, it's not. Oh, I always do have a, like a slight sure. bit of skepticism. But on the subject of slight skepticism, I'm sure the high school students mean very well. Very, right. Exactly. <laughs> on the subject, well, we're just very cynical people, and that's just how you know our heads work. You know why we're cynical? My head. Went to that exact. It's a perfect transition though, because my head went to that exact same place when I started watching the third movie we're going to talk about, A Night at the Garden, directed no. by Marshall Curry. So fucking long. Which is seven minutes long, and it is found footage from a 1939 rally held at Madison Square Garden. Um, it's a Nazi rally, which I which I had heard about previously. Like I'd known the history of it, I just mm-hmm. had never watched the footage. Um, it's not a doc. Not really. It's a documentary. It's. I don't it's care a, what it is. I kind yeah. of thought it was. I thought it was fascinating, and yeah. I thought it was presented really, really well. But I also thought because I, this is just where my head is now. Is this this, and because we know a guy and all this other stuff, is this a real thing? Like, is this real? Is this doctored footage? I mean, and clearly some of it's doctored towards the end when that guy rushes the stage and it's the, you know, there's a slow motion shot and, you know, they kind oh, of, but he, he, they drag some, you know, heavy music into it and stuff. But, um, well, Marshall Curry, if you go on to the night, um, the night at the garden website, mm-hmm. he does a Q and a where he says, yeah, I, I edited it in a way sure, where yeah, I yeah. zoomed in. Like he, he's very, open. Oh, yeah, and what's yeah, nice yeah. about this is it's, this is definitely an individual who's, um, just so interested in the topic like there's there's various videos he posted uh you know the first um like 12 minutes of fritz kuhn's actual speech mm-hmm. um which i listened to and it's fucking terrifying um but i think that's the problem is that especially i mean i had just read that like news article about that 11 year old in florida i think it was that got arrested because oh, like the, they, pledge of the pledge of allegiance thing and then i turned on this movie and a bunch of People who were just giving Heil Hitler salutes a second ago are saying the Pledge of Allegiance in front of like a hundred foot picture of George Washington and a bunch of American flags. <laughs> George Washington's flanked by an American flag with a swastika on the top. Yeah. 
And it's just and I, like the anachronism was so overwhelming that like my head instantly went to like I just don't want to accept that this is a real thing. I mean, I just this is this is the worst. And I I do think And the Rangers played the next day. And I do think <laughs> I do think it's clever there's there's a clever use of, you know, the indoctrination of youth with in in the 7 minutes the the fact that, you know, it does edit it, you know, Curry edits it in such a way, you know, backed by that kind of like very over the top but purposely over the top Baxter James Baxter score of the child kind of like giddily excited as they beat the shit out of uh you know that that Jewish man yeah. you know, or uh, Greenbaum uh-huh. um it, it's for something that doesn't have any pretense doesn't have any voiceover narration only has a couple you know inner titles to t- give you space of where you are uh-huh. um it works and it it tells a narrative and it tells a very timely narrative yeah. in our current climate it's which i didn't which i didn't want to think about but i mean i think is i think but if if you're true, going to do it accurate. and you're not going it, it's nice to have something that's doing that and, and you know the the well, you know cliche of don't repeat history um if you're going to do that then uh you know, do it, do it well, do it cleverly. Well, and this, and this doesn't, this doesn't add any pretense. This doesn't go, this doesn't have the, the black Klansman moment, which I still like of, you know, yeah. transitioning to the Charlotte. No, this is like a perfectly rally. curated piece of, of footage. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and it's not trying to be really anything other than, than that. You know what I mean? I can imagine like a dramatized version of this, you know, being made and getting nominated for an Academy Award in like two years. And speaking of dramatizations, I think we should talk about the most dramatized of the documentaries, Black Sheep, mm-hmm. uh, the Guardian piece. Mm-hmm. You want to directed by Ed Perkins? Uh, it tells the story of Cornelius Walker, who is actually telling his story. Um, he's the only—I mean, besides some background noise during the dramatizations, he's the only voice you hear. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a there's some people yelling like horrible things at, at people. Um, yeah, and it's, but it's, yeah, it's all, it's but all, it's, all a, it's, a, it's, you know, um, he lived in London, um, on when Demiola Taylor was killed. Um, he, Demiola was a black child from Nigeria. Um, the same place that, uh, Cornelius's family was from and his parents kind of fearing, um, you know, that's something weird was happening in London, moved them out into uh, a more rural community where he faced some really significant and uh, intense upfront racism in an effort to stave off some of the issues that he was having, like getting the shit beat out of him. Um, he decided to kind of play white and not saying that he went white face or anything like that, but he you know, admits that he bleached his skin. He, he wore contacts. Wore contacts. Um, he adopted a more white tone of voice, um, you know, a more white accent, um, and started hanging around with the same racist kids that beat the shit out of him. Um, you know, at the end, there doesn't really get resolved. He says he regrets it at the end of the movie. Um, you know... I don't think there's anything else, like in terms of plot or anything that's really necessary. No, I, we both said it's a really well produced, and it's extremely well produced. Mm. Um, 
you know, like we said, it has dramatization. It's it's very similar to a documentary I adored, Imposter, from I want to say like twenty eleven, mm-hmm. um, and just how how much there's dramatization, how much production uh, there is twenty twenty twelve. We both said it's it's a very well produced moth episode. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it has some. It has it's profound. It's not. I want to say profound, but it's, it's a very intimate portrait um and and cornelius is 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 a really compelling speaker um he he carries it extremely well he has i mean it's edited in such a way i don't know how much how long that actual interview was with him but the way it is edited in you know i i you know when he says like i stuck with the monsters Mm -hmm. it it hits those beats really well it's Mm -hmm. really well edited um I like the palette that they're working with. That yeah. kind of very rusted, that muted, but like also kind of decayed, rust-colored. Yeah, heavy That's blues. Like, it's it's. The, the yeah. sun always seems like it's going down, like all the time in this, you know, um, which I I think is a a good representation of a kind of like memory haze that's kind of, you know, cast over the whole thing. Um, I like that they didn't really try to match. Cornelius's actual face to whoever the actor was. It's more of a representation of, of Cornelius, which was which was good, you know what I mean? It allowed you to not have to think about it very much. That you're, It's not a movie. It's just kind of showing you the things that he's talking about where in if it was like a moth episode or if it was like a, um, you know, it wouldn't be This American Life, so like Snap Judgment or Invisibilia or something like that, one of those NPR storytelling things, they would have all those um, dramatized images um, in there, but you just hear you would hear them, you know what I mean, and they would ex- be expressed with um, really well placed, you know, poignant music or you know something to that, or some uh, like a sound effect or something like that. Um, but here you just get to see it, and it's still really muted from a sound quality, like it's not very loud. Um, the music is kind of background music, and um, one of the things I liked most about it was. How the visual of Cornelius would just kind of drop out sometimes, and then it would come back, like there would just be a black screen for a little bit, and then it would just it, it would just be like a flash. It wouldn't be anything that's like that's, that's heavy, but like between his words, it would almost seem like he was disappearing, and then he'd come back when he would say something, and then he would disappear for like a half of a second, and then he'd come back again. Um, it's again though, it wasn't my favorite one of these movies. I think because of that podcast no, I did, quality, I did like um, it looked. A lot, like so, like I, I, I think in terms of like the aspect ratio and the coloration of it, and like the mutedness of it, kind of remind me a lot of like a George Shaw, mm. like his artwork. Okay, um, you, you familiar with him at all? Um, did a lot of like dilapidated buildings, um, pictures. It, he took like, pictures pain, or he... paintings, painting? paintings that were very photorealistic. Okay, um, so it, and it has kind of like a mute, a muted quality to it, while mm-hmm. also being very focused, also in painting, um. He also focused a lot on like pop culture and uh, kind of like the youth culture, mm-hmm. and so it, it it's interesting to kind of see that. It, I don't know if that was intentional, but it feels very much like it's kind of drawn, um, or maybe not. I don't want to say inspired, but it's, it's very much in that same kind of tone. Oh yeah, I see it. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. I think I think in terms of a production of a film, um, like the actual work going into the craft of the film, this is the the best one. Have you been to the Yale Center for British Art? 
Because he's there. Yeah, that's where I. Well, he was. He, he left. And it ended in December. That's oh, it did. I, that's okay. where I first saw it. Yeah, me and Jordan went. There you go. Very much Shout out. He also really likes vaginas. Does really good drawings of vaginas. No, good. Good for him. Good job, George Shaw. Good for George um, Shaw. So yeah, but no. I, so in terms <laughs> of what a, what a turn. Uh, in terms of of art, like a like having a palette, this is the the, the most solid one. Um, also, not my favorite. Because your favorite is this next one. Lifeboat, yeah. Um, Lifeboat is directed by Sky Fitzgerald, who... Is um, his Lifeboat also your your favorite? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's kind of without question. This or Night at the the Garden's close, but this is... We're going to do rankings at the end, but we're just... We both have to commiserate on our lifeboating. Okay. Um, It is, what you say, 36 minutes? Um, Uh, Yeah, it's 34. John, it shows Cap and John Castle specifically, but it has a couple of other um, boat captains. And these are people that work for an organization called Sea Watch. Sea, sea Watch, um, the website is c-watch.org. And they um, are volunteers and they go out into the Mediterranean between Libya and, um, or, you know, the North African countries, but Libya specifically in this film, and um, Europe and they pick up migrants that are floating on rafts and uh, poorly constructed wooden boats, and they try to rescue them. Um, and that's the bulk of the movie. And um, but you get to t- you know you talk to John Castle and you get to talk to um, several of the refugees, and it is uh, an absolutely harrowing movie. And what these people went through is absolutely harrowing, and it makes me sad that there are so many questions in this country about whether or not these people deserve to make it to the other side of oh no they're just going to be they're just going to be hoodlums in europe don't you know that yeah apparently they're all apparently and it's funny because all none of them all of them they're traveling on boats with dead bodies no they're not they're 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 not practicing their they're a wash in in urine like like the one they just shit one man in the boat yep um, they've got kids with them. They're not practicing their acting skills. They're not pretending to want a better life. Every all you know, they don't want to, like the woman said. I, I wish I didn't, they don't really. They show some. They do show the names in the air trials. Um, the one woman says, you know, it was a choice between life and death. And this movie is very powerfully um, bookmarked by. It opens with an image of, of a dead body from a, a that's boat tangled that in a raft. That's tangled in a yeah. raft. It ends with a mass grave of bodies that had um you were supposed to assume a mass grave of bodies sure. that had that washed you know, up washed up and were they didn't even make it they, they didn't even make it out of africa right they just they washed back up on africa um it's uh, it reminded me a lot of um a movie that's you know we're going to talk about next year um called baraka that's on my list directed by ron frick and they employ a lot of the same kind of soundscapes in the background he, they employ a lot of the same kind of um, slow motion shots to kind of draw you in, like, slowly into this world um, before it just drops, like, hammer after real fucking hammer on you. Um, I, found, I find the comparisons between the emotions that are at play in this versus the emotions that are at play in something like Endgame, like, endlessly What's fascinating. Endgame? <laughs> the movie you disavowed having seen. Okay. Um... Where in this one, they're literally just... Sh- I mean, 
in any kind of movie, there's going to be a, like a manipulation of, of things. But he's just showing... You really can't manipulate watching people have discussions about how many people they can actually fit from this raft onto your boat. Like, you can't... The fact ha- that the rescue boats are overcrowded. Right. You can't manipulate a... I mean, I guess you could just drop a dead body in there. But, but why the fuck would you do that? Like, unless you think... Unless you're like us and you think everything is like a piece of propaganda, it, like... designed to completely distract people from an actual thing that's happening so you know in the uh, uh, hopes that they'll believe a lie um you just gotta roll with it right and if you're rolling with it that means it's crushing the humanity out of you that this is a thing that happens to people and it's an interesting juxtaposition with something like endgame in in the way that you know death is kind of seen as I mean, not necessarily a theoretical in Endgame, but it's it's seen. There, there's time to contemplate it and think about it and and worry That's about awesome. it. Versus star. this, where it's just like it. You escape what would be certain death in a very awful situation, that you know, not as awful as cancer and every sort of disease is. Um, you know, prolonged death by rape and well, slavery versus you know possible untimely death by dehydration and, and, so and dying that, in the boat. You, know, and that doctor, you don't even have time to, to think about those things. You just are automatically trying to live. Well, I mean, what you said before about that, you know, that, that what that doctor said in Endgame by like having a relationship with death. These people, whole life is a relationship with death. They didn't like not have a relationship with death and then just get to sit around for a while. Like again, while having cancer, it's very bad. But like these people are just like, well, I'm going to die here but I'm also probably going to die here. Which place would I rather be dead? I would rather be dead in the service of trying to escape this one thing than to just be raped my entire life and then just, you know, killed when my usefulness ran out. And the thing I like that Sky Fitzgerald did was he didn't even, like, try to be, like, point, you know, at at Paula. Like, something that um, letters from Dunhane, Dunhane or whatever, sorry. Dublain? Dublain does. um, Makes, you know, points a very pointed finger which we agreed he didn't need to do yeah um at the problem this just presents the issue and you can draw the own conclusions of like well we are the problem yeah you're right and like the western world in general is the problem two gold stars in this one conversation he 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 eschews the idea of like what created the problem he's just like okay forget about it let's just deal with this problem right here um that's awesome. I mean, that. I mean, it's my number one anyway. Yeah. But that kind of add that adds a depth to it that I kind of didn't, um, I didn't appreciate before. Um, so you. This wanna... is this is a hard one to watch though. I mean, I was. Oh I yeah. I watched this during my lunch break today, and me and my I'm wife. Sure I was pretty red eyed. Me and my wife had a, like a long conversation afterwards about like what humanity owes to each, like what we owe to each other as humans, like and what does it mean to live a good life if you're not like is can you only do this. And is any other choice you make a bad choice? Yeah, it's it's, it's unrelenting. This is there is no glimmer of and hope. And even before uh, they even get to somebody, like they just they tell you what they're doing there, and you're just like, oh, this is gonna be terrible. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't have any sort of. It's just a struggle. To, it's just a continued struggle. And to Captain survive. John Castle died oh, in really? 2018. So right after this, well, I guess it got shot in 2016, I think. So. Um, you know, but I guess you know the year it was released in festivals and what have you, he died. So that's sad. Um, uh, but yeah, that's this is definitely um, the best 
of them. Lifeboat. I yeah. Second. I guess we could go back. Roll back. All right. So my. I mean, I'll go. I'll go one through five. Then you can go one through five. I'm going lifeboat one. I'm going um, period end of sentence two because I thought it was fun and I like the message and I like what it was about and I like who made it. Um, I'm going Night of the Garden three. I'm going Black Sheep four and Endgame and Endgame five. Yeah, I, I would go lifeboat high number one. Um, Night to Garden would be number two. Uh, Black Sheep would be my number three. And then my number four, also still good, is period in the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's too it's, bad you didn't see a fifth movie. I just, I just don't know why they didn't nominate a fifth movie. Yeah, I thought it was, there's probably very many good documentary shorts. Go fuck yourself, Endgame. <laughs> we'll be right back with our number 73s. <laughs> Welcome back. My number 73 movie is Old Joy, directed by Kelly Reichert. Um, came out in 2006. It stars Will Oldham as Kurt and Daniel London as Mark. It's got some music by Yola Tango. It was written by Kelly Reichert uh, and Jonathan Raymond, based off a short story by Jonathan Raymond. Old Joy is the story of Kurt and Mark. Kurt being the kind of hippie-ish vagabond drifter type and Mark being his friend who has decided to settle down and owns a house and uh, has a wife who is um, then they're expecting their first child Uh, they go on a kind of last minute excursion to uh, hot springs in uh, Oregon near Portland Um, they drink some beers they have conversations they go to the hot springs they drive around and then the movie ends this is literally what this happens in this movie um there's two movies there's two spots on my list where I have dashes Mario where if it wasn't this one movie it was gonna be this other movie um and they're in some ways related to each other um with your faces. No, I keep reading stuff for things I want to talk about. <laughs> As you're doing your introduction, I'm listening, what? but also like preparing my... Um, so this movie is on this list because it was the first Kelly Reichert movie I saw. Uh, I have subsequently come to feel that Kelly Reichert is probably, you know, one in the top five best living American directors uh, working today. Really? Um, I'm not big on... Uh, Meek's Cutoff and Night Moves. She's fantastic. I love... Meek's Cutoff is is almost too period for me in the sense that I don't... It doesn't have the same kind of societal or cultural... I don't know what the word is. Stakes as something like... And Night Moves is almost too heavily plotted for me. Although I do like it. Even though Jesse Eisenberg is in it. I've heard really good things about Certain Women. Certain Women is an absolutely wonderful movie, but it reminds you a lot of Old Joy and then the movie that came out after this, the absolutely breathtaking Wendy and Lucy. Um, Which I haven't haven't seen that. The only reason Wendy and Lucy is not on my list is because um, I I love Old Joy too, and I didn't see... I only saw Wendy and Lucy because I saw Old Joy. Um, Old Joy came out in 2006. I saw it on DVD in 2007 um, because... It was right around the time that I was really getting into um, American indie rock. So um, 
Yola Tango. I was really heavy into Yola Tango at that time, guided by voices and Sebado and Archers of Loaf and, you know, all the bands that kind of spawned them um, and that, you know, getting into all the labels like the Matadors and the Merges and um, one of those labels was Drag City, which was where um, Will Oldham resided at the time as Bonnie Prince Billy. Um, a Bonnie Prince Billy album from 2006 called The Letting Go was uh, an album that I held on to and still do as just a tremendously emotional album. Um, and when I saw that Will Oldham was in a movie, I was like, holy shit, Will Oldham's in a movie. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see that movie. Um, but because it was a movie made for $30,000 with an indie rock musician as its star... Um, and then just driving around in a couple of, of not even overly long conversations. Um, no, very naturalistic though. I yeah. do appreciate, um, her screenplay in the fact that like it even opens with a, a phone conversation that like there's the old TV tropes argument that phone conversations are never end naturally. Uh-huh. Um, and this is just feels like an actual phone conversation would take place. Well, that's, and one of the things I appreciate it is that about it is that it isn't that kind of, so you mentioned when we were downstairs, you mentioned like mumblecore movies like before and how this kind well, of, there goes, there goes my entire talk about that. No, 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 we're good. Cause I'm going to, I'll lead you into that. Is that this, I don't think this seems more realistic to me in the sense that, um, there's just long gaps of conversation. There's long gaps where there's no conversation. It's not like they're trying to fill up all the space. You know what I mean? Which helps make the situation... There's obviously a rift between them, and Kurt brings that up at one point, like something happened to us. Um, and all the, the all the space kind of speaks to that rift. But it's also it's also real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you go for a drive with somebody, you're not going to spend every single moment, like, f- you know, filling the car with words. Which is, I think, I think the, going to be the interesting divergence it in... Or, or, sorry, shown in, in our lists. Um you appreciate appreciate some of the more naturalism um, mm. or, or naturalism even presenting a very uh, dramatic stake uh, even something like clean shaven mm-hmm. which a lot of this clean shaven yeah. like the oh, lot of yeah. this reminded me of that yep. the lodge character the focus on uh, early on especially in this film on um, power lines I was like this seems so lodge Kerrigan um, but there, there's a certain even naturalism to that film, even though there's very high stakes with it, and mm-hmm. there's there's a very dramatic element. Whereas I, at my list, all has clearly shown and will continue to show. I, I live for theatricality sure. in film, yeah, yeah. and so you know I, I kind of approach this in the same way that I approach um, like the mumblecore genre. Um, you know, the Duplass brothers. Like my first introduction to that was the Duplass brothers, um, like puffy chair, mm-hmm. which even though it kind of like tries to go with a naturalistic dialogue, it's not, it's, it's elevated to 11 and, or is really heavily into the genre with when Adam Wingard's, um, horrible way to die, which is overly theatrical, mm-hmm. but still has that kind of trying to be nat- like naturalistic dialogue or trying to be down to earth in some level, but there's still like the AJ Bowen performance and the, and the Simon Barrett performance and the Amy Seminitz performance are all very much acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so films like this don't hit me, you know, mm-hmm. just because I appreciate them. This is really well put together and it feels very human and it does tell a very interesting kind of human tale. Um, but I'd rather read this. 
then watch it, I guess. Right. Is, is yeah, issue. I actually would be interested in... I haven't, I haven't read the short story. I haven't either. It's one of those things that I've never bothered to do, and I wonder if I just don't want to ruin it. You know what I mean? Like, my appreciation of this of this world that she's kind of created, or, or how I kind of have latched onto it. I don't want to change it, because I really like it. Um, Which wouldn't be to degrade it. I mean, obviously, this is... No, but it's one of those things where I mentioned when we were talking about Sydney, um, Sydney Lumet uh, last week. Was that Sydney Lumet? Twelve Angry Men, or was that the week before? The week before. Week last, before. <laughs> you, you've washed Fast Times Richmond High from your mind. Yeah, yeah. That's right. No, I haven't. I actually been listening to that Jackson Brown song a lot recently because it's just like stuck in my brain. It's a good song, though. Um, Sydney Lumet made a movie, which I mentioned at the time, a version of um, Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey into Night with um, Ralph Richardson and, you know, Jason Robards is, is playing the Jamie character. Um, and Catherine Hepburn is is um, the mother character. And I think it, it didn't ruin the play for me. And it was a play that I really loved. But it did a, it did a little bit. It like took it shaved some of the edge off of it to watch it acted out in this kind of very filmed theatrical, like faux theatrical setting where there's just these people that are pointlessly moving because it's not a stage play. It's just a bunch of people pointlessly moving around a house, you know, for three and a half hours, just like yelling at each other and having really like saying long monologues to each other and um, all that crazy stuff. And it kind of, when you see it on the screen, you're just kind of like, Oh, and that's why, that's what this looks like. Okay. And maybe it would look different on stage, but I don't want that to happen. Like, I've never wanted that to happen here. There's a couple of movies on my list where like, I've purposely not tried to read like the source material because I didn't want it to like fuck with my image that I have of it. Um, but it's interesting that you bring up Clean Shaven because this is kind of like a perfect juxtaposition between like a, a movie that kind of lives in like um, – like the ether of my life and a movie that kind of really burrowed into my, to my heart. And I think, um, I wasn't going through anything like this in 2006 or 2007, I don't think, but I think it's really interesting them talking about like the radio conversations that you get to hear, you know what I mean? But all this kind of these other things that are happening in the world and all that these guys really care about is, not all that they care about, but, like, their main goal is to find this hot springs. And the kind of joining to, like, trying... I think the movie is trying to say, like... The fact that he keeps putting it on every time Kurt's not in the car. Like, it's the idea that Mark is really trying to find his way into, like, whatever the next stage of his life is going to be. You know what I mean? Where Kurt really just wants to talk about all these records that they used to listen to and all these people that they know and these situations that they used to go through. And and Mark is really kind of trying to focus on um, current events. And you get the impression that they're both really just trying to make sense of who they are and where they stand in whatever version of society that they're they're currently inhabiting. Um, And it's interesting. I think it's one of the things that I think gets... um, like with these really low budget indie movies, I think Kelly Reichert can pull it off because she's a genius. Where I don't think some of the other people that would make a movie like this um, get the same kind of mileage out of it. So there's another movie that we're going to talk about later a little bit. It's not on my list, but it's one of the slashes where it's very indie in all, every way possible, but it doesn't do the same thing with images, and it's not doing the same thing with, same thing with sound, and it's not doing the same thing with pacing. Um, that Kelly Riker is doing here. Um, and then she pushes all that stuff further 
and makes a more alienating movie in something like Wendy and Lucy, which is a fucking masterpiece. Um, but it's just so sad and, and um, I don't know. We were talking about life, but before, like the thing, like what do we owe each other as people? Um, she makes a movie about a girl who lost her dog and she turns it into a commentary on like how we treat each other and, and, and where we all stand amongst like, I don't know, our, these kind of little socioeconomic pockets that we all pretend like we don't exist in. Um, I don't know. She's just, she's an amazing filmmaker and I hope her new movie comes out and, uh, and I, an old joy is a great movie, and it's. A, I don't think it's. Where did you see it? Where did you watch it? Did you get a torrent of it? Like YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, it was all on YouTube. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So that's one of the things. This movie's not like. Uh, there's I think two copies in the in the Lion Library system. Now you get it off of Amazon. Um, yeah, you can pay for it and yeah. stuff like that too. But it's not like one of those movies that's like easily. No one's pushing Old Joy down your throat. You know what I mean? No one's gonna say, "Hey, go watch." You know what movie you should watch? Old Joy. Um, but you should go watch Old Joy, and you should listen to Bonnie, Prince Billy, and Will Oldham. And you and me both think that this Yola Tango score is like just completely fantastic, right? Yeah, the well, soundtrack, yeah, is great. Yeah. Yola Tango is great. Yola Tango is great. One of the best live bands I've seen. Mm. Me too, Mario. Their openers were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's my 73. Um, we will be back in... Four or five seconds with Mario 73. When I was a child, there were three action films that enticed me just by their trailer. One of those was John Woo's second major American release, the epic nuclear warhead thriller of... John Travolta facing off against Christian Slater and Broken Arrow. The other two was the much maligned, but I believe now somewhat respected Last Action Hero. Ooh, I like Last Action Hero. And the Gina Davis vehicle, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, not Cutthroat Island? (laughs) No, I did not want it all. Although Gina Davis was really high up on my, like, crush list as a kid. But then you saw Accidental Taurus and changed everything. Yeah, exactly. Had to reevaluate. Um, and I loved all three of those movies. Last Action Hero took me a while to appreciate. Two of those films had one thing in common. Screenwriter Shane Black. Mm. And it wasn't until a few years later I saw his writing debut, directed by Richard Donner, Starring the indelible chemistry team <laughs> that is so equal to Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon in their, in their ways sure. of Danny Glover and Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. Do you really want to jump? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the ah! He was ready to retire. No, he's gonna wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? <laughs> Too old for this. If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? 
Coin Smith. A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. One of the most perfect pure action films ever. Before I had seen this film, I had watched the kind of dredge of 80s action films that had um, predated it and somewhat postdated it. Films like Commando or even Predator. As oh, much yeah, as Predator. Must be said. Um, or uh, other films, including ones that are Tango and Cash was the one I was trying to think the of. The Principal. And Cobra. The Principles comes out in the 90s. But movies that very heavily focus in a humorless machismo. The humor is built upon a backbone of just being a man with gigantic biceps who treats women like shit. Yep. (laughs) Those movies kind of all suck. Tango and Cash is somewhat okay because of Kurt Russell. The rest of them kind of suck. Predator is okay, actually, too. But Predator is kind of a satire of itself. Lethal Weapon was interesting and new in the fact that it has two Principles 1987, really, buddy. Oh, really? Is, it? Yeah. Is, that the, is that the Treat Williams movie? Jim Belushi and Louis substitute? Gossard Jr.? No, the substitute the Tom substitute. Berenger. Tom Berenger is a substitute. Maybe Treat Williams took over for him in the sequels. That's what Maybe. I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why was there like three different like teachers become a bad... Four different ones. There's... Uh, was that was the one? Dangerous whatever? Dangerous with, Minds. Dangerous Minds. 187 oh, and the I substitute. Love 187. I love 187 too. We have to do a separate separate podcast about 187. Teachers kicking ass. <laughs> um, but this movie, you know, you it, it excused that. It excused that tradition and kind of sets the tone for the everyman action hero, which would be perfected about 13 months later <laughs> in a film we'll talk about um in a year yeah. or long. We're not going to talk about Die Hard for a fucking long time. Um, <laughs> everyone knows. Martin Riggs is a great character. Sure. One of my favorite action characters in that, yeah, he is everything you expect in the cliche of the action hero. He's a gunslinger. He's suave. He's... Mel Gibson before Mel Gibson got publicly drunk constantly. He's of an indeterminate age. Yeah, exactly. His hair wildly jumps between long and flowing and kind of short in some scenes. Like when he's getting tortured, it kind of looks like it's short. It's very bizarre. It's yeah. not, but it's like, what's going on? What's going on there, Mel Gibson? He was in, he was in Vietnam, but is somehow young, so much younger than yeah. He's still in his than 20s. Murtaugh that he can refer to Murtaugh as an old timer. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, when he is only 10 years younger than Danny Glover. Um, but he's so oh, he's flawed, too. He's he's a mess. You know, he wants to die. And there there is, uh, I don't want to say humanity. There's, there's, there, this isn't a really real-to-life performance. No, but there's a humanity there. But there is a vulnerability. And when he that, tries to kill himself, I mean, that's... That's but it's deep, deep it's, it's deep, but it's not really... It doesn't at all feel real. This film doesn't ever... I don't think it ever excused the Hollywoodness of it. No, no, no. But no. there's real vulnerability. Yeah. There's no longer a need for this macho badass. He's, he's a badass. 
But he's a badass because he mostly wants to die. You know, his wife died, and now he also wants to die. He's deep within the throes of depression. His wife of 10 years, or 11 years. Yeah. Again, how old is he supposed to be? <laughs> I think he's supposed to be like 26. He, he, he fought, was in Vietnam when he, he was 19. The, my grandfather actually lied on his birth certificate. Like, lie, like created a fake birth certificate to fight in World War II. So maybe he did that. Yeah, but they don't make... Maybe he was a 14-year-old they don't make, fighting the Viet Cong. They don't make 14-year-olds, like, super. He was running. He was right next to William Defoe. He avoided all the bullets, though. He, 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 didn't, he probably would have stopped to take a hit off that hookah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure he would have. But, you know, and so in, in that way, it, it leads you in. And then it keeps you there. Because that script is so fucking awesome. And, and the dialogue is tremendous. And everything about that works. Nothing in this movie, for what it is, the, in the action genre, doesn't work. Richard Donner is, is a great director of skits. And this movie is a lot of kind of skits leading into each other. Uh-huh. With one you know, underlarching narrative. But really, it's just kind of playing into the chemistry between these two people and he plays so well into that which is a bummer when they're not on screen and Gary Busey is not doing enough to make the moments when he's on screen and they're not interesting moments like even when he tries to light his arm on fire with a lighter which is apparently supposed to be scary um it's there's the electricity just like it's sucked out of the movie when Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are not like bickering at each other um, yeah, which I think is weird, but this is a extremely magnetic film, and it's something that this might be an unpopular opinion. I think it's followed up by three really good sequels. Oh, I, sequels that don't touch the original. I always but, loved three. Yeah, uh, I really like three too, and they because they blend because you never lose that chemistry, and you keep Richard Donner mm-hmm. throughout the entire series. You d- you don't get Shane Black, Shane Black back. I believe. I think no, he comes back for he writes. Two, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't write three or four, if I remember right. But both, but all those movies are great, and mm-hmm. and this is just a really and unlike the movie that's gonna be way higher up on my list. Not all those sequels, one of them doesn't work. You know, all of them work, but one. You're talking. Um, you're not talking about three, right? Three works the best. No, I'm talking about talk about the one that doesn't exist in terms of the sequels to Die Hard. Yeah, I'm talking about Good Day to Die Hard. Oh, okay. You you forgot that one was a movie, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. You know why? That movie's fucking awful. Even Live Free or Die Hard's good. I even like that. The PG-13 one is also still mm-hmm. pretty decent. But this movie, as, as we've talked about numerous times, a huge lover of action film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a nice transition. A transition, I believe, from the needing to be a constant machismo man, the two hands clasping together and bulging biceps, the... You know, chill out, or no, was it let off some steam from Commando? This uh-huh. was a transition into just everyman action heroes, which were much better. Yeah, this is, it's funny. I don't like action movies, as we've discussed ad nauseum on this podcast. Which we'll keep talking about. Which we'll keep talking about. I have so many fucking but action movies on my list. It's, but it's interesting because I, I, I do like Die Hard and I like Die Hard 3 and I really liked Lethal Weapon 3 when I was, um, not when I was a kid, but like whatever, however old I was, an adolescent, when I saw Lethal Weapon 3 because I think the emotions of those movies are real. They have real characters in them who are doing crazy stuff. And um, they both kill off the secondary 
villain who ends up being the final villain in the same exact way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. There, and it's not, it's not an accident. It just worked for once. They're just like, yeah, we're just going to do that. We're, we'll do that too. Do we, do we think it's an accident? I just wonder if Die yeah. Hard was in production for... Like, I think they're, they're filmed so... I'm pretty sure they could have done that. Same thing. Yeah. Gonna... Even if it wasn't production, they would have just been like, that That worked. Let's do that. I want to see what that looks like. Um, but you have... I mean, you, what you have in this movie, which you don't have... Which I guess you have in um, Die Hard, but which you don't have in any other action movie, is fucking Mel Gibson. Yeah. Mel Gibson, who is, like, just turned up to a thousand... Um, Bringing the fucking goods. Like, it doesn't matter what silly action... <laughs> it doesn't matter how comfortable everybody in society is watching a crazy guy with half a shirt on run down the street holding a machine gun to shoot it into a into a, <laughs> into a highway. Everyone's very accepting of that. While you're watching that, you're like, that's awesome. Of course, of course you ran down a car and then... And and then shot it perfectly because remember we established before that he was a Vietnam sniper, and uh, you know while it was moving down the highway. Of course, that's just just what you do. That's of course this guy is capable of that. Or you forget about the fact that like you saw a pretty good chunk of the bottom floor of that building that he jumped off of with that guy. And there was no huge pillow there. No, and the guy was looking on, down. Also, and you never saw very it. obviously. But well, when it, after it happens, it's like that was awesome. And that's something that continues throughout the series. I think. I think that's. I, I think that's a song, a strong suit of of Donner. And unfortunately, Donner kind of has lost lavish. He's kind of like Zemeckis in that, as he grew older, his, he lost most of his talent. But even I know you don't like the Goonies. Even the Goonies work. Oh, Goonies for, is okay. But we've talked about how Goonies isn't something that. No, I don't want to see. I don't like the Goonies, but um, it's like not like a terrible movie. Yeah, but he does like just ridiculous set pieces well, and he's always kind of done really goofy, ridiculous set pieces well. And he kind of like lets you buy into the fantasy of something, mm-hmm. and that's what's great. Like I think Shane Black is also great at this. It's it's a very it's very much a movie. It makes no claims to exist in our world. You know, it is, oh no, it no, is no. a last action hero universe well that's why i like last i mean if i had to pick like a favorite action movie i don't know if i could do it off the top of my head i really have to think about it but last last action hero would be on my list because it plays into the just like total unbelievability of everything that's happening you know what i mean yeah and And then and and then it builds a story on top of that so i don't have to care about anything i can just enjoy it for like what's happening and i don't think people realize that it's like that transition and like how much shane black kind of did for the... I mean, I think people actually kind of realize this now, but how much he did for the universe of action films that even, like, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger had to change their their tune for what they did in action. They couldn't no longer... They could no longer do these kind of, like, obviously Commando, you know, Cobra and all that have, have a goofiness to it, but there's a real attempt to be somewhat earnest. Mm-hmm. And after kind of, like, Shane Black appears on the scene and does last action hero does the first two lethal weapons which have ridiculous amounts of humor like lethal weapon 2 is a little more of an action action movie. yeah, I was, yeah um, exactly and lethal weapon but, 3 is more of a drama than an action movie yeah uh besides that opening <laughs> well yeah and besides the shooting the bullets through the through the uh the payloader there you know oh, God, I love that. But they're hollow points they're hollow points so you can shoot them through a pan the great the great opening with the fire crane oh that's like lethal weapon 3 is really good i saw that i think i saw that in theaters 
No, I did it. I was really excited to see it. Um, but you get you are allowed to have a demolition man. But no, because that, that's what that was the movie I was about to bring yes. up was the fact Gold Star uh, was the fact that Last Action Hero and like, directly exists because of Shane Black, but then Demolition Man, which then is a parody of itself on action film, exists because of Shane Black, and that door started because of Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon was a film that I hate. I hate self. I hate to say self-aware or meta in action, but it was with still within that universe aware of itself, aware of how ridiculous it was. It skewed the the seriousness of the Dirty Harry series, which, which you know, until it's like fifth sequel, we're, we're so down in the dirt series because Clint Eastwood lacks a sense of humor. Well, I was just, so I'm reading this book um, by Jeff Dyer, who wrote um, the book about Stalker called Zona. Um, and he wrote Movie a, of the Week with Criterion. Oh, is it the Movie of the Week? That's, we have, we're going to have to do a podcast about, you know, Zona and Stalker and stuff. But there's, um, but he wrote a new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago called um, Broadsword Calling Danny Boy. And it's about watching Where Eagles Dare. And he literally goes, which is that um, Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton, World War II movie. Oh, okay. And he goes through kind of the same conversation we we're having about like how uh, um, action movie stars of a certain era literally had no personality. You know what I mean? So you had like Clint Eastwood who would just like squint through every movie and you had Steve McQueen who literally wouldn't do anything like through, <laughs> through the course of a whole movie. Charles was, Bronson. Charles Bronson was another one. Um, Christ. And it's... Charles Bronson, like Steve McQueen could actually act. Charles Bronson did it because he couldn't act. And it's... Come at me, Charles Bronson fans. <laughs> so you did it. All one of you left alive. But you're getting these guys... Charles Bronson, by the way, starred in Death Wish. I know most of our... <laughs> most people don't know who Charles Bronson is because he's forgotten by the annals of history. Which is a good thing because he had great hair and a huge mustache. He did have really good hair. He had good hair. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you bring this up and that I'm reading this at the same time because he's. You really had to have the tough guy back then. You know what I mean? And now, after maybe not maybe you're telling me it's after Lethal Weapon, and I'm gonna. I would say that Lethal Weapon. Fine. I would say Lethal Weapon and Die, Die Hard. Yeah. Where and then not- like Bruce Willis becomes a big action star. Unfortunately, I mean actually I say unfortunately because everyone maligns Hudson Hawk. I really like Hudson Hawk, but you know. The every man becomes acceptable. Like even comedies exactly. like Turner and Hooch or um, Canine, mm-hmm. like start coming out. The the every kind of flubby guy. Well, so you're basically your your action heroes aren't tough now. They're charismatic. So that's where you have like a whole you know oeuvre of Wesley Snipes action movies. Not because I mean Wesley Snipes, I guess, is really good at action, but Wesley Snipes could also just hold the fucking screen when he wasn't kicking somebody in the face. I mean, that's just what he does. He was just a charismatic yeah. guy. Well, what happened because, of, like, in response to this was that Sylvester Stallone had to star in a movie and play off of Estelle Getty, you know? Or, Stop or my, grandma, or my mom will shoot. Exactly. Or, you know, that movie. they saw the charisma of Will Smith and throughout the 90s were just like, he's in every action movie ever now. Which was a good choice because Bad Boys is great. Bad Boys is great, yeah. And Bad Boys 2 is not bad. Bad Boys 2 is good, Except when but he drove that Hummer super, down. It's super problematic now. It, when it he exists. drove through all those people's homes. And also just like the very obvious shots of um, naked <laughs> women like who are dead. Oh, yeah. That's just like, it's, oh, it's problematic. Bad Boys 1 at least exists in a war- Like you could still watch it and be like, okay, yeah. this is a 90s action movie. Bad Boys 2, you're like... Well, you know, at some point, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence got together and like, we need to up the ante. And they're like, this is what I'm thinking. I really hope Bad Boys for Life, which I, I love the fact that the third movie is called Bad Boys for Life. 
when it's yeah exactly the life by the way the e in life becomes a three oh. i really hope it reduces all the so it's bad boys 12 are we supposed to do multiplication here <laughs> or is it a remake of bad boys one no it's just it's the third or is sequel. it bad boys seven it's the third movie no, no, because there's two bad boys. Bad boys, four, three plus four, life with three. So it'd be. Is there a fourth person? So in it'd be, it then? it's actually bad boys nine. Oh, because if you're adding in the other two, yeah. yeah. Good call, Mario. Um, but yeah, you're right because neither Martin Lawrence nor Will Smith are tough. But that movie is a great fucking action movie. No one in any of the Fast and the Furious movies is tough, but they're all very charismatic. I don't know, man. Did you see Boiler Room? I did Vin, see Vin Diesel. <laughs> I did see Boiler Room. Giovanni Ribisi are like, but Giovanni Ribisi is not in yeah, Fast and Furious. He's because, in God of Sixty Seconds. Because of your transition, you get to see Christian Slater in Broken Arrow. You get to see Nicolas Cage in two really excellent action movies. Well, Face Off is good. Con Air is fucking awesome. No, I don't. I, you know what? I never, I never loved Con Air. How could you not like that Malkovich? Uh, it's because that Malkovich performance. Where Malkovich just realizes I always thought it was I movie. always thought it was cool, but I never was like this is a, I, I like this movie. Sigh, Anara. <laughs> but yeah, I I just this movie shows up on my list, and I didn't put appreciate the, it at the moment. Put the bunny down. Yeah, I didn't appreciate it in a moment. Okay. This dealer does the was it? Does the player feel lucky? Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> and you just go right. Right into um, not Alban Brothers. You go right into uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. By why am I forgetting the band? Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner. That's oh, a good movie. I'm going to have to rewatch that movie. I like that movie a lot. Um, but because <laughs> because of Lethal Weapon and because of of Die Hard that I'd follow, you know, you, you set the pace for for better action, much better action movies, significantly better action movies. Well, they're action movies that are going to do something. Like, you don't have to worry about just... They're going to be fun. They're dumb. Right. Yes, yes, and, exactly. And, and, like, Command... Yeah, sure, Commando's dumb. But Commando doesn't... Isn't... isn't. It's trying to be dumb at points, but it's still, like... It's still trying to put on some sort of air of, of like, this is what a man is. Yeah, exactly. And um, they don't have to... Pro- they don't have to worry about propping up the manhood of these characters anymore. Like, they don't care. It's just like, like this it's guy's like, fucking bleeding a lot. Mel, we're just going to show Mel Gibson's naked ass for two minutes. Like, and you're going to be fine with it, because he doesn't give a shit. Like, yeah. you don't have to worry about, you know, maintaining his manliness. Because because of Lethal Weapon, because of Die Hard, because of Shane Black, you know, Sylvester Stallone doesn't get to hold a gigantic gun in Cobra all the time. Instead, he has to look at seashells and realize how he's going to wipe his ass with them in Demolition Man. And eat a weird Taco Bells. Hey. And, ta- and the only restaurant that And exists. pretend he likes working next to Dennis Leary. <laughs> as, as most people did. That was an awkward Sandra Bullock performance, too. It's a good Sandra. I like that. It's awkward, but great. And also, man, Simon Phoenix, that entire... One of the best villains of the 90s. But yeah, that's why it shows up on my list. And if you disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just okay. very... I'm very feisty this week. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I like Lethal Weapon. No, I'm not saying if you disagree. I'm uh, talking to our listeners. No, you that's something you would say to me. No. Oh. No, because you, you just agreed the entire time. Two weeks. That's what you're going to say to me in two weeks. Well, I might not feel as strongly. Oh. I feel like this is what I... At first, I thought when I said two weeks, I was looking at the circled number. Mm-hmm. And I thought in two weeks was a movie, was my number 70. Yeah. <laughs> and I was about ready to get very mad. But you're talking about my number 71, and yeah. I'm okay with that. Okay. 
My number 70, we would have we, we would yell at each other. What's your 70 again? Oh, wait. We'll talk about it after. Yeah. All right. So um, if you think Mario's stupid for liking action movies... Then you, you can, can just not respond to us. No, you, you, you shouldn't respond to us. Alan, well, yeah, probably, maybe. You should go to Twitter at... Pivotal Film. All right. Film, film Pivotal. Film Pivotal, yeah. And, um, or you can send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or... You could go to our website where I think there's a, a, a contact us window. Which will um, probably just send us an email. But. Which will send us an email, I think. If um, you really hate sending emails and just want to use contact us. Like. I should go on there and test that out. I've never tested that. Um, we do, we've gotten <laughs> thousands of emails that just go to some we website. Do we do have know. lots of... Ad- they go to a gmx.com. <laughs> we, we get they lots go to of- our hotmail. Yeah, oh, we should have a hotmail too, just in case. Maybe there's people that don't like just Gmail, in- but they do like hotmail. Just in case somebody from 2003 listens to this podcast, yeah, that's finds why, us on their angel fire. That's why I maintain my GeoCities page. Um, GeoCities doesn't exist anymore, man. What? Yahoo <sighs> shut that shit down. And I think then Yahoo probably shut. It I was going to say, <laughs> who are we to say that this website? I do have. A, I still have a Yahoo.com email just to send all my like junk shit to. Nice. Sorry, Yahoo. You're not going to sponsor us, I guess. Oh, oh man. man. We really um, could have used that 25 cents you guys could pay us. But, yeah, so the Oscars are Sunday. So we'll, uh, we'll next Thursday we'll have a brief rundown of, of uh, whatever happens then. And we will be talking about the movie that we were going to talk about this week. But then Tom couldn't go see it. It's which fur- is Arctic. Furnace Issues. Arctic. We'll talk about Arctic. Ironically, little... ironically, it's called Arctic. When I was very cold which for is a week. A quick review for me. Very good. It won't be in theaters for long. You can see it in theaters. You get another week. Yeah, if you see it in theaters, see it in theaters. It's yeah. definitely a good theater. Uh, so, theater. so go see a movie, then drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>